Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. She's still traumatized. She'll find refuge in our Lord Jesus Christ. Sleepwalk, children, into the valley. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host Matthew Perkovich and this is episode number 286. Out now on DVD in Australia is Cult Girls, a horror thriller that tells the story of a young woman who escapes a pagan apocalyptic cult only to return to the horrors of her past as she searches for her two younger sisters who are still in the cult's grasp. Visually haunting and driven by rich Lithuanian folklore legend and the black metal scene and all the notoriety that comes with it, Cult Girls is a unique horror movie that is as intriguing as it is thrilling. Joining me on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is the director of Cult Girls, Mark Bakaitis. Mark, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Matt, and that was an awesome introduction. Uh, sounded great. Well, look, I really enjoyed your movie, and it's really interesting. This film has been five years in the making, um, and now that it's out on DVD for everyone to watch, how does it feel that this hard work is going to be out there for everyone to see? Oh, it's great. It's just It takes such a long time making an independent film, and to see it finally released with Umbrella is just a dream come true. Uh, I couldn't be more happier. Um, you are a very prolific uh, filmmaker, especially in regards to your short films, film clips, documentaries, etc. But when it comes to feature film, like narrative movies, this is the first time you've approached this territory since uh, Narcosis. I think that was like 1999, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, 1999 and we finished it in 2000. Um, yeah, look, at just uh, doing a feature film, it just takes a lot of work. It uh, costs a lot of money. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a big undertaking. So I, I, I guess I keep myself fresh by doing smaller projects in between. Considering the investment needed uh, financial and time-wise and everything else as well, what is it about the story of Cult Girls that really drew you back into that this form of filmmaking? Look, I think I really wanted to explore the folk horror territory. You know, I was really drawn to the films of Jean Rollin and Jess Franco and all the European art house cinema and I wanted to make an Australian independent film that was very different to most um, Australian films so going to Lithuania was just a, a really exciting experience to be able to shoot in another country and, and work with uh, actors and crew from uh, overseas and, and do something a little bit different um, and also posted lots of challenges you know when we came back to Australia we really had to fill the gaps in and and that made it hard in a way we were all almost um you know kind of had some restrictions because of what we'd already shot so uh it was an amazing adventure and an amazing experience 
I also read that um, your grandparents come from Lithuania. You are from Lithuania um, uh, ancestry, Lithuanian stock. I also read that some of the influence that he had on you as a kid, um, while he was a devout Christian, he did have kind of like these kind of little pagan kind of statues around the house and such. Is this correct? Yeah, it was funny that um, a lot of the Lithuanians, uh, they, they're Christians, but similar to the Mexicans with the Day of the Dead, uh, they maintain these uh, ancient pagan traditions through the Christianity. And yeah, he was like that. He had this um, this statue of the devil, which I was fascinated by as a kid. It sort of spooked me and, you know, being uh, into horror movies and stuff like that, I always thought this is really weird that he's uh, a devout Christian and uh, you know, has these you know crosses also around the house, but he'd have these pagan artifacts, and um, yeah, I, I was very fascinated by that particular object, and uh, I've used it in in uh, a lot of my little short films over the years, uh, and it, it appeared in Cult Girls as well. Um, I also read that when you were a young kid, maybe around twelve years old or so, that you used your grandfather's Super Eight camera to start like making kind of like films. Is this true as well? Yeah, so he was a, a really positive influence in many ways. Um, you know, that Super 8 film was the start of my filmmaking process. Um, I was, you know, like lots of other kids um, at my age when I saw Star Wars, that that really kind of uh, informed me and, and I really got interested in filmmaking after that. And the first film I made was was like a Conan the Barbarian kind of homage with, with all my kids, uh, with all the your kids in the neighbourhood. And, yeah, um, yeah it, was a, it was a funny little film. <laughs> um, coming back to Cult Girls, it is an independent movie. Um, it's an independent movie, though, that stars Jane Badler. And a lot of people might know remember her from her work in the V TV series. I'm pretty sure she was in the reprisal of that as well that came yes. out um, in, the, in the 2000s as well. Um, when you get a, a name like that on board an independent film what does that do to your film when it comes to funding and also securing distribution look it really helped uh we were struggling for a while to finish the film we needed to do uh, a sound mix we needed to do a gray we needed visual effects uh and we had some interest from some executive producers in los angeles and that wouldn't have happened without jane being in the film so i was very lucky to finish the journey by going to Los Angeles and, you know, I did um, my sound mix with, you know, uh, a guy called Jonathan Miller and he'd worked on films like Don't Breathe and Independence Day and Train Spotting and Evil Dead and The Hellraiser 2 and 3. So even uh, Hardware and Dust Devil, Richard Stanley's films. So it was amazing to just this small indie film that was really scraped together over many years to be able to finish it at a high caliber with a person like that was was awesome. It's interesting, though, that it is a Australian-made movie, but you couldn't secure uh, local funding, even from the government bodies. And it's, it's something that comes across a lot when I talk to independent Australian filmmakers that work in genre film. Um, they actually have had to find themselves securing investment, especially from American territories. Um, is that something that is really kind of just, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, just really frustrating as you as a filmmaker that it seems like when it comes to these things that can, usually can help filmmakers when it comes to genre films, it doesn't seem like the funding is there? Look, you really need to have a solid plan and the right producer on board from the start. And I guess my experience in the past has been you've got to sort of prove yourself and shoot something before a producer will even um, 
acknowledge you or be interested in you. So it's a sort of, it's a tough kind of situation. Um, you know, we did get some interest from some Australian producers after the film had already been shot, but it was all, it was kind of too late to go back then, you know, to, to get the producers offset and to, you know, try and work with the budget. It was just too late to do that. So I think I learnt a lot about the process. Um, but, yeah, I think if you want to do it properly, you've got to do a lot of planning from the start. And, and I think we just we just jumped into it without uh, much thought, which is probably not the best way to, to do a film. But um, sometimes you've got to be proactive and make things happen. It's interesting in those five years that you're making Cult Girls, that folk horror, um, which, look, it's it's a subgenre of horror films that's always been there. I know I've read that um, a lot of early folk horror films was a major influence of you as a, as a filmmaker. Um, but it, over the last few years, it's become really kind of mainstream with Midsommar and um, The Witch, etc. As you're watching this happen um, and you're making your own film, you think to yourself, oh, look, I landed on a perfect opportunity to release this movie because interest in this kind of thing is really high. Yeah, it was really interesting. I went to see The Witch at MIF um, with its premiere at MIF and that was during the middle of the production. I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. Obviously, it's a higher budget. And then obviously, yeah, Hereditary and Midsummer. Um, I thought, wow, at least I'm in the zeitgeist, uh, even though it's a low budget film. So it's just frustrating that those films got finished before mine uh so it just took so long without having the budget um when it comes to making horror films that deal with these kind of subject matter it's it's really interesting i was just only talking to a filmmaker last night and um in his movie while it was a demonic possession film it's straight away from kind of like the more judeo-christian kind of concepts of that subject matter and actually tapped into hawaiian mythology uh, of all things um do you think that in these days a lot of filmmakers are straying away from the kind of judeo-christian concepts of the supernatural maybe because they have been done so many times before and they're looking for something fresh and new uh to kind of um to uh use as a resource uh to fuel their horror movies yeah, definitely. I think probably, you know, growing up in the 70s, uh, you know, the probably the Catholic religion was a lot um, bigger than it is now, too. That You know, there's probably more widespread um, religious beliefs these days, whereas uh, I think when you grow, grew up, that was the main sort of r- religion. And uh, even if you... <clears throat> Even if you didn't really believe in it, um, some of the elements really scared you. So obviously, The Exorcist is a classic example. Uh, even if you, even if you don't believe in uh, the Christian religion and God and all that sort of thing, it's a it's a very terrifying film. So I guess uh, filmmakers at that time tapped into that thing, but now, uh, yeah, I guess we're looking at a a new age and it's a very different period now that we're living in. You mentioned that you filmed in Lithuania. Was it the first time you were there, Mark? It was, yes. It was uh, the first time I ever went. So I I had the opportunity to go. My parents were heading over there for this big festival, and I thought, well, this is a a real opportunity to to go over there and and, and try and um, create something artistic while I was over there. And I basically took one other crew person that had been there before and spoke the language and he knew some his name was uh Jurgis Malekis he was also in the film Dogs in Space with mm-hmm. uh uh Michael Hutchins and Nick Needles and all that so um basically he he sort of assisted me and we went over there and and he sort of got together a, a local cast and crew and and we just did it in a very um guerrilla sort of style 
Um, featured in the movie is this really kind of important place of religious and cultural significance in Lithuania, the Hill of Crosses. Uh, and for people who don't know, pretty much what you're looking at is, as described, is like this massive kind of hill. Crosses, I don't know, how many do you think in the thousands, Mark? Um, thousands, wooden, thousands. Yeah, yeah, wooden I, metal crosses. Um, and, and it's really interesting the reason why it's there. No one knows when it was actually established but i think they're thinking like mid 19th century it was kind of like a um uh, uh, a kind of like a tribute to like the the victims of the of the different russian revolts in the mid 19th century and, and it especially became came to prominence um during like the the soviet union's communist rule of lithuania and in like the 1960s 70s and 80s and and and, and going on forward um when you are there in in the presence of something like that what's it like to um to number one to to be there and number two when you're looking at it, did you just think, my God, this would be awesome for my film? Yeah, I've always been fascinated by photos of that place that I saw when I was growing up. And as you said, it has a very political significance. It was a real sort of symbol of their uh, beliefs, the Lithuanian people's beliefs that were taken away under communism. Um, and yeah, being there was just, uh, it was an amazing place. It's quite eerie, even though it's quite a big tourist destination and we had a few issues with we had to uh key some of the people out in post-production because mm. there were so many people there that day uh it would have been great to to shut the whole place down but yeah it was just a, a very eerie place we drove we drove about uh three and a half hours to to get there and it was raining that day so we just had to shelter under these trees and and wait for the rain to stop uh so that we could shoot and it was just a it, yeah it was an amazing place you, you just the, the the scale of the place and the sound of the wind just blowing through the crosses, blowing all the little kind of rosary beads and, and the metal crosses around. It was just a fantastic place. And even though I've, um, I guess, made it appear a lot darker in the film, there's, there still is a, a, a sort of heavy spiritual vibe there. Um, so it, it, was, it was fantastic to shoot there. The really interesting thing about Cult Girls is that it um, touches on, or pretty much delves into, um, this really kind of like current day practice of a, like, this ancient pagan religion in Lithuania. I think it's the pronunciation is Remover. Is it Remover? Yes, yes, that's correct, yes. And um, it's a really interesting kind of thing in that um, you mentioned uh, at the start of your film in a little kind of transcript that um, Lithuania was kind of like the last holdout during the Christendom of Europe. I think it was like mid 13th uh, century that it was actually, it, it was like, it finally did kind of like turn into a, a Christian nation. Um, but ever since then, no matter what happened, whether it was um, the Christian, uh, the Christianization of Lithuania or in the early uh, or in the 20th century with the, the Russian revolts or later on with the Soviet oppression, um, it was always there. But now it's kind of like it's becoming a little more prominent, a little more mainstream uh, to the point where um, I think like in the 90s, it was actually like um, uh, like passed in Lithuania law as like a non-traditional religion. And I, I, I know there's still a lot of kind of like uh, things going on there politically in, in getting that religion recognized. But the whole kind of movement of this uh, practice of ancient pagan religion, um, did you know much about it going into Lithuania or is that something you learnt of while you were over there? We st I studied a little bit about it before I went over there and obviously was pretty fascinated by it. Um, and we were just really lucky with those people. We just contacted them and they were doing a, a, a traditional wedding ceremony uh, 
just after when we shot. So we were able to get them in early and get them to perform this ceremony in this sacred space. So it was all it was all real. None of it was sort of staged and, and they just did it for us um obviously we shot a little bit of action uh, surrounding it um but yeah once again that was just a really amazing experience being uh, out in the middle of the woods in in this high kind of high hilltop and and they just did this little ceremony around the fire and we only really had one go at it i uh, hired a, a few um local lithuanian crew to get a few different other camera angles but we, we basically had one go at it and then the the uh, wedding party arrived and, and we had to sort of get out of there so it was uh it was it was really tense uh to to try and get it all but to just yeah to, to be there amongst that was amazing and now we kind of transition to this other great passion of yours which is music um and you use a lot of kind of like folk groups that are from that kind of re- re- ancient kind of pagan tradition. Um, there's two groups in particular, the Last Clog and uh, Kulgrunda. Um, yep. they, you use their traditional ancient songs. There's one singer, I think she was from the Kulgrunda group, I'm pretty sure, Brigitta. Um, she like um, did a few kind of like solo pieces as well, which was used like within the score. Um, how did it come about that you used those compositions, those songs in, in your movie? Yeah, well, well, as I was saying before, my father um, is a he's in the Lithuanian choir, so he had some connections with some of the local uh, Lithuanian singers, and we just approached the Lost Clog and asked them to actually appear in the film, and they were fantastic. They're they're a little bit younger than um, obviously my father's age, so they're closer to my age. So they came down into the on, on set and performed their song in this huge underground warehouse space which was once again quite eerie um and they said they loved performing there the the acoustics so you know having having these live elements on set that um aren't so staged or um just made up for the film itself it just adds another element of um of kind of realism uh that's fantastic and also um, Brigitte, yeah, the, the scenes with Brigitte, um, where I, I, I recall my grandfather's funeral and they had um, this very, you know, deep kind of singing, um, Lithuanian choral singing that was quite sort of obviously sad. And um, I think she sung a, a song which was in a similar tone to uh, a funeral song and we used that in the film, and this is a bit of a spoiler, um, but for, uh, you know, Ragano, who's Jane Badler's character, for her death. So we used that scene, and that was one of my favourite scenes in the film. Going on to a different type of music now, also in, involved in the movie is kind of like black metal music as well. Um, I'm a I'm a big heavy metal fan. I, I, I love yeah. like heavy metal, and I know a bit about the black music uh, scene. Not huge in the bands, but I know bits and pieces about it and what i really found really interesting is that i think looking from that outside in i think a lot of people associate satanism with black metal which to some degrees is true 
Um, but on the other hand, there's kind of rich kind of paganism to it as well. A lot of the black metal bands, especially like the uh, Norwegian black metal bands and such, they really kind of go back to that pre-Christian concepts of religion and, and folklore, etc. And that really fuels their their music. Um, when it comes to black metal, I know you've worked um, in the film, in, um, sorry, the music industry, did a lot of film clips and such. Did you have uh, ties within the black metal community? Um, and as such, did you know much about black music, black metal music um, as a scene and their philosophies as well? Yeah, look, it's interesting that you uh, talk about just those pagan, the pagan heritage in the Norwegian bands. Most people, yeah, think about Satanism, but I think that's, in a way, it's more of an American thing with uh, the Church of Satan um, and, you know, the whole Satanic Panic era in the 70s. But I think the Europeans have always just had their their pagan uh, beliefs uh, ingrained in them. So, you know, even like those bands in that first wave of black metal like uh, you know dark throne and mayhem um you know they they probably would have grown up in a, a society that sort of had that pagan uh influence um for me personally growing up i was probably more into uh punk and post-punk even though you know bands like black sabbath and uh you know the all, all the old school bands like iron maiden i was into as a kid also but then yeah um I came about in the era, you know, in the late 80s where you sort of saw, you know, the start of, I guess, early Metallica. There was this whole thrash movement. So there were bands like Celtic Frost, um, for instance, who really it was pre it was pre black metal and it was called thrash. And that sort of morphed its way into what black metal became with the original um, Norwegian band. So I was kind of around in that whole kind of era and the, the first um probably the first proper punk gig i ever went to was a band called dri mm. the dirty rock imbeciles and yeah it was just a really interesting mix of punks you know skinheads and headbangers all sort of joining together and liking this sort of music <clears throat> and then it just got more extreme with the with the whole black metal thing and obviously all the murders and all that sort of stuff that happened really kind of pushed that underground music into the mainstream and then obviously yeah bands like metallica got huge so it was a real even though i wasn't like fully obsessed just with black metal it was just a very exciting <clears throat> period in music um you know similar to what happened with the whole grunge scene uh, later on becoming huge, you know. It was something that was really underground that um, that went into the mainstream in a way, but then at the same time it has remained underground, and it still is. You mentioned before in regards to the whole black metal thing, the uh, controversy surrounded it, especially like in uh, Norway yeah. with the, the church burnings and there was murders and there was and there was also this, these kind of like really infamous kind of figures that came from it. Um, it's really interesting in your film, you have a character named Moloch, uh, played by Albert um, Goikham, um, and he, he comes across as kind of like, I, I don't know whether you drew influence from these figures, but kind of like um, the singer of Golgarth, um, called Garth, and um, there's a singer from Burzum called um, Varg Vikernes, who was really kind of notorious in like the whole kind of Norway scene back then. Um, were yeah. they kind of like influences in shaping the, that Moloch character in your movie? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely looked at all their interviews and showed them to Albert. He didn't want to. He didn't want to copy them, but I think in a way he did take influence from them. Um, I just, I guess, people maybe see those figures as being, um, you know, not 
how can I put this? Um, not really serious about what the, what their beliefs or just doing it to get attention. Mm. Um, but I, I took the character as what if this person really was a mystical person that that studied the black arts and and lived like a hermit out in the forest? Um, what if he really was like a a, a dark kind of Magus, you know, a, a dark magician type person. So I just sort of took it one step further, maybe into the fantasy realm a little bit more, but uh, we definitely use those figures as, as a reference. You actually have a bit of concert footage in your film as well. Um, I think the band's called um, Tribulation. How did you get them um, in the film and what was it like filming a black metal uh, concert? Well, I had, uh, I was very lucky to have um, a friend called Hussein Koda. Um, he's like a legend in the kind of indie um, underground kind of Melbourne scene of filmmaking. And he was very into, uh, he's very into black metal and uh, extreme underground bands. And uh, when I was writing the script, uh, he sort of came in and helped as a co-writer with research and helped me with my ideas. And then, you know, I was asking him, I was, I was saying, well, you know, who, who should we get to, to play the, the, the black metal band in the film? It's, it's going to be hard. We're going to have to, we're going to have to get a venue and we're going to have to light it. We're going to have to get extras in and it's going to be so much hard work. And he said, well, you know, every year they have Dark Mofo, which is this fantastic festival in Tasmania that uh, uh, draws uh, dark art from all around the world. And, um, there was this night called Hymns of the Dead, and he basically just approached this band, Tribulation, from Sweden, who were coming out to play at the gig, and, and they said yes. And similar to what I was saying before about the the Lithuanian um, pagan groups, you know, we really only had them for one song during sound check, so mm. we had to just we had to just get it done in one song. We, we, the band were happy to do more. They said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do more, but they were already behind on schedule, so the roadies were saying, nah, you know, you've, you've only got one song with them. So we recorded them at Soundcheck, and then uh, of the, the night of the gig, we actually, you know, filmed the whole gig and that song, and then we just tied uh, that footage in, into the film. So, yeah, it was, it was great having them in the film because they were – they were like a, a band that sort of started out as more like a death metal band and then as they've gone on, they've really included these kind of rich gothic kind of textures into their music and they're very kind of um, mystical and, um, you know, they're not misogynist. Um, they're, they were just perfect for the film and it was great meeting them and working with them. The whole black metal scene in regards to the imagery, the corpse paint and everything, um, when it comes to your movie... There are moments in the film where um, characters wear masks, there's different types of um, imagery going on, costume-wise, makeup-wise. Did you draw influence more from kind of like the black metal kind of stuff in creating especially your villainous characters, or does that stuff come from more from the Lithuanian folk legend stuff? I think it was a bit of both, you know, like... Um I think, you know, going back to what I was saying when I was a kid, um, you know, a film like Conan the Barbarian was, uh, you know, in, in a way uh, was really referencing Nietzsche and it was kind of had these pagan kind of elements in there. Mm. The masks we, were kind of used out of necessity because we had, you know, obviously some actors in Lithuania that I knew that I'd have to double for in Australia uh, and they might be at different ages. Um, so that was kind of like something, a, a device we used 
to be able to get around those uh, issues in production. Um, and then, yeah, obviously just using a mixture of, of um, pagan kind of elements. I mean, th those masks almost had a, a bit of a Day of the Dead kind of look about them as well. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, yeah, obviously the corpse paint is just – I think corpse paint is just one of those things where it just transforms a character, you know, like all these bands talk about as soon as they put on this paint. It's like – the Vikings, when they went to war, they they transform themselves into sort of like a, a beast or an animal. So I kind of had that kind of whole philosophy behind it as well. When you when I look at the film um, and I see it's got these two great passions of yours, movies and music, also has that element of your ancestry in regards to Lithuanian culture as well, intergrained in that. Is it fair to say that maybe Cult Girls is perhaps the most your most personable impersonal film so far? Definitely, yeah. It's just got so much of myself in it. I think, you know, in, in a way, obviously the the plot maybe isn't as complex as something like Hereditary, which is so well written. I mean, my, my films are very visual. They're very dreamlike. Um, the plots are pretty thin in a way, you know, pretty much like a film like Mandy's is a good example of a film that, that I really like that, you know, um, I try and aspire to that sort of style. Um, but, yeah, it was a very personal film. I think in the end the whole – the whole transformation of, of Dahlia into Ragnar, it, it's really about just accepting uh, who you are and uh, accepting your family and, and maybe, you know, some of the darker traits that might, they might have or the issues that they have. It's about an acceptance of all that. So I think that would be one of the key messages of the film. So for everyone out there, Cult Girls is out now on DVD. You can find lots of info about Cult Girls through Facebook. They have a great Facebook page. There's also uh, the MonsterFest website, monsterfest.com.au. has got a bunch of stuff about the Cult Girls release as well, including talking about the artwork and different special features. Um, I actually watched um, the links you, you sent me in regards to a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. And um, look, I, just, I found this film just fascinating. I loved it very much. I loved the visual style. I loved the different religious and kind of like philosophical elements to it as well um so mark i thank you very much for your time and congratulations to you with the movie as well oh thanks matt i really appreciate it i mean it, it's it's a weird film in the fact that it's it, as i said before it's very dreamlike and and the plot is is kind of you know pretty disjointed maybe on purpose in some ways it's there's very deep meanings in the film and for someone to appreciate it and understand it and want to know more about it is uh, amazing, and I really appreciate you for uh, talking to me today. No worries, Mark. Take care. Thanks, Matt. Bye.